Hello, and welcome to another episode of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and I am here with my co-host, Vala Offshore. Vala, how are you doing? Michael, it's great Good. to see you. Good to see you as well. <laughs> and we have a very special guest today, Kim Stevenson, who is the CIO of Intel. Kim, hey, Michael. how are you? I'm great. Hi, Michael. Hi, Vala. I'll shake your virtual hand. That sounds good. <laughs> so, Vala, how's it going? It's a beautiful day here in Boston, and we have a truly special guest with us. So, I'm really excited about our CXO talk. So, so Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And let's start with asking you just to tell us a little bit about your background and your career path. How did you end up as the CIO of Intel? Um, well, that that's a long journey. But since you guys are in Boston, I'll start with, you know, I uh, went to Northeastern undergrad, and I was a co-op for IBM. So, uh, and <clears throat> I had the opportunity to work on the first... Um, I was the cost accountant for the first, what was to be laptop computer, and it ended up being, for those of us who are in my age range, uh, 26 pounds, 9-inch gas plasma display, and we put it on a luggage cart, and we would wheel it home at night. <laughs> um, but it was breakthrough, and I knew then that I wanted to be a part of this industry, mm -hmm. uh, and it, in truth, when you think about it, I've... Uh, been working 28 years, and in 28 years, the amount of technological innovation that's changed the way we work, society, everything has come true. So I spent, um, after that call-up assignment, I spent 18 years at IBM, and then I moved to EDS, where I ran um, the P&L for our customers. In the, I was in the comms, media, and entertainment industry, and my customers were really CIOs. And so when I had the opportunity to come to Intel, it was the first internal IT job I had, but um, it was like living the opposite of what I had been doing and seeing it from a 360-degree view has been really enlightening. And trust me, I've learned a lot about <clears throat> living on the other side, and sometimes I laugh at my pre prior perspective. <laughs> having not had that experience of being in internal IT. So um, anyways, and now I'm sort of at the heart of when I think about that first product that I was the cost accountant for, I'm at the heart of where all that happens at Intel, and it's, it's pretty cool. So, so your background then uh, originally came out of the business rather than the technology side. Uh, yeah, actually, so um, I spent... Um, uh, Functionally, I was in. I've been in, spent a number of years in finance, a number of years in marketing. When I was with EDS, um, a number of years in account management and um, service delivery. So always around the technology. Um, I'm a self-taught programmer. I taught myself um, SAS, and then I taught myself, um, you know, C and stuff out of survival mode in those days. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but yeah, I always come at it from the business perspective. And I think that is going to be a theme that we're going to come back to later. Uh, but, but tell us a little bit about the, the CIO role uh, at Intel. What is, what is the CIO responsible for, and, and how, do you, how do you make it all work? Yeah, sure. This, um, you know, I would argue 
that this is probably the best CIO job on the planet, um, given what Intel does for a living. Um, and you know, we have we have a series of responsibilities, and you know, we sort of talk about our first job one is we have to uh, ensure that Intel runs in an operational excellent fashion. Um, and that is our factories are 7 by 24, you know, we have um, never have an interrupt uh, in our operations. Uh, but that's sort of table stakes, um, and we do that really well. We're, we're the CEO and the board of directors is really looking for is for us to help add value to the company. And we're at this phase in Intel's life that Intel is diversifying and we're adding new businesses and software and services and foundry models and all of that <clears throat> requires a different IT model and um, probably the single most important thing is that it all is happening very fast and IT has to enable the velocity of these business changes so that Intel can transform and accelerate our market position in the markets that we aren't the leader in today. Um, so it's a really exciting opportunity um, and IT is a critical component of that to help the company be successful in those new markets. That's fantastic. Well, as a proud customer of, of Intel, all our, all our appliance solutions and embedded operating systems for switches and routers are powered by Intel. What are some of the uh, technology trends that uh, that Intel is focusing on? Yeah, so thank you also for being uh, a great customer. We uh, the, the network market is, is been one of those markets that have really grown in the last few years and, and moved to Intel standard architecture, so that's been a really good um, transition for us. You know, from a, um, I look at Intel and I say, you know, most of Intel is about creating technology, and so they're creators. IT at Intel is about applying that technology to its fullest potential, so I sort of refer to us as IT as the appliers. Um, it makes for a very good relationship with the creators of technology because we're able to give them real enterprise use cases, we're able to um, help them debug and see a real operational um, experience with their products and um, so that's been very good. You know, we're, um, we're looking at um, uh, the client completely differently um, in where we are now in terms of new form factors, new um, ultra mobile devices, whether it be a 5-inch tablet, 7-inch tablet or phablet, um, detachables, convertibles, all sorts of melding form factors and from an IT perspective it's a lot about providing that user experience so um, you know when I if you don't have a touch machine if you you start touching screens you know and they're not touch enabled and, mm -hmm. and you start trying to grow things or shrink things and so it's been really fun to, for us as an enterprise IT organization to think about alright what applications are we going to touch enable how are we going to move that forward to really drive employee productivity across Intel uh, so that that's been really good um, the other big trend that we're very focused on is um, uh, big data and analytics um, and there's just an enormous amount of uh, opportunity for both revenue growth, connecting with customers, figuring out how to um, take those opportunities in and, and target markets, but also for operational efficiency. Um, and 
we're, you know, it's, um, we're fairly advanced in what we do, but it's like you're just scratching the surface too. So I think we're at the very beginning of a major um, shift over time. Um, In-memory databases will help us, the Hadoop uh, distributions and analytics, machine learning, all of this stuff layered on top of um, your data environment is going to be really helpful. So, so you see IT's role, part of IT's role is to help lead that consumer experience and, and being customer-centric. You see that's part of the role of IT. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in fact, um, for one of my IT cultural values that I've put in it is customer at the center. So if, if you look at the history of IT organizations, um, you know, we've evolved from that back office organization to a period of time where it was a lot about IT productivity and in you'd see measurements like percent of revenue, um, IT as a percent of revenue and, and was treated as a cost center. And sort of the next decade is about business transformation, business efficiency, how, do, how, do you, how does IT help the business grow? You can't do it alone, it's always in partnership with the business, but IT can be a catalyst to that business growth. And in fact, I would say there are no, there are no IT projects. They're all business projects today. Um, and, and I really believe that, that there isn't a project today that, that should be done that doesn't enable, you know, require IT. And um, if you're not using IT to make your business better, then, then you're shortchanging the real opportunity. I'm really struggling with all these tweetable, amazing words of yes. wisdom. <laughs> fantastic. No, you're right. We had uh, Gartner Group Vice President, Gartner Fellow Mark McDonald here a couple of CXO talks ago, and he said the one question CIOs and CDOs, CMOs, business executives need to be asking is, how will technology grow the business? That's the most important question. So when you look back at you know 2012 IT priorities and now 2013 priorities at Intel, have there been uh, you know significant changes in terms of how you're prioritizing information technology given the you know the rapid growth of mobile, social, cloud, data, mm -hmm. and app economy, and everything else that we're seeing? Yeah. So um, uh, I'll tell you the one thing that we've added in. Um, uh, was after the start of the year last year was um, collaboration and social computing into our IT priorities. We've had cloud, we've had the user experience, we've had BI, which is now big data and analytics, um, we've had security. Uh, but we added in last year this idea of, of social collaboration and, and we did that because as Intel's business model diversifies, the way we work is changing. So we're building systems on chips, not just microprocessors. So that requires that you're taking IP blocks from right. sometimes third parties, different parts of the of the company. We're now a hundred thousand person company, and we've found it's very difficult to find information or find the right people. Yet it does exist. It does right. exist. And so if people can't find it, then they have to recreate it or they have to start from scratch. Um, so, so we've been on this journey to transform our Intel culture to a more collaborative culture, one of, of open sharing. And, um, 
we don't think IT does it on its own, but we are using IT solutions as the catalyst for change. And then we're, we're having the business transformation agents pull that through and drive the adoption um, of the social technologies and stuff. And so, you know, um, cultures aren't changed overnight, but in in the nine months that we've been focused on this, we've um, we've made a lot of progress uh, for for the company relative to, and it really ultimately what it does is it, it reduces our time to market. Because if I don't have to recreate the IP, or I don't have to, you know, um, go find an external expert when there's an internal one, it all it's all about time. Absolutely, I agree with that. You know, removing the silos in business and the fact that the smartest person in the room is the room. Um, you know, and, and you, you exemplify that. I mean, you're one of the most social CIOs in the world, so I can certainly appreciate that. And it's, again, at our, at our company, you know, our, all of our executives are, are, are collaborative and, and, and leveraging social technologies with, you know, with the purpose of um, improving our execution velocity. But I'm really surprised how many CIOs and business executives are uh, are not social. I I've got a ton of stories of how I've grown as a leader in the last year because of social. Um, but my favorite one, if I'll just digress a minute, sure, is please, please. Um, so I was on Twitter late one night um, and I got a. Um, direct message and it was from somebody in my, I have 6,500 people in my organization so I, I do not know them all by name. <laughs> I would like to but I don't. So anyways it said, the tweet was, hi boss I just finished my first mobile app really cool. So he said hi boss so I assume you know you know what Twitter names are, I don't know that he really where he works. So I, I, I looked up who he was and I went to Intel's our catalog and I looked up the directory and I said oh yeah he does work you know and it turned out he was a recent college hire so he'd been with the company about nine months and um, so I replied because he you know he looked legit so I replied great job how cool and then I was like wasn't that cool I got to provide an employee direct feedback instantaneously awesome. it just made me feel good awesome. so I told that story about three weeks later in an open forum and there were several hundred people in the room and they were asking me why am I on Twitter what's the value it seems to be drivel you know and it was not a real positive like we want to join you kind of thing and so I told that story and no lie from the back of the room this guy stands up and raises his hands he goes that was me <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, it was so cool. I mean, that really, so it brought cool. tears to my eyes. And that, and I said, well, come up here, you know. And I said, so tell people, like, you know, what what did it feel like? It felt great for me to be able to give feedback. What did it feel like to you? So, you know, I don't think it's drivel. I right. think there's, right. you know. You know, you're humanizing the business. I mean, you know, I started at, at, at our company as a co-op. Right, right. As I was trying to, you know, finish my graduate studies, and I remember the early years being in a. At the time, it was a seven thousand employee company. To talk to a vice president or my goodness, a CIO, and receive real time feed, feedback, unheard of, uh, just not likely, you know. So I'm sure he felt so special 
that you responded. And now what you have is a, is a committed, energized uh, employee who uh, is going to be more productive and, and, and a great advocate of, of, of Intel. As, as, so it's, it, I think it's amazing. So yeah, and you great. couldn't plan. You can't plan that. Right. right. Well, you need the environment. You have to create right. yeah. the environment. But you know what you're describing is this this kind of ideal situation in a sense. But for many CIOs, I think it's it's difficult to imagine an open environment and to imagine an environment where they can focus away from their the daily grind of operational needs to these kind of higher order issues. And so I'm wondering, how do you set the tone for, for the organization to make this possible? Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it, it is, um, uh, IT is a 7 by 24 job, and, and that can be overwhelming for people. Um, when I first joined uh, Intel IT, I did run IT operations, and um, so we had to look at where was the big time sink. What what took so much time, and we applied lean lean and six sigma principles to that in terms of you know we wanted to lean out our processes, we wanted to eliminate outages, so things that were taking time. And what we really did was then reinvest that capacity, our personal capacity into more higher value generating things. So you had, we had to first get people to believe though that it was worth making that investment to, to systemically fix things. And so we went on this service, IT service management journey um, and that's been, it's been um, tremendously insightful for our organization because of the visibility that you can now see in how an IT service performs then you can start doing more proactive activities. So um, I forget the percentage, but it's in the 20% of our tickets today are proactive tickets where we're proactively avoiding some future problem. That's awesome. And, um, and when I started, it was near zero because we didn't have the resources to do it. And um, through a series of standardization, automation, eliminating human error, uh, and you know humans don't make errors because they want to. It's because of the environment you create around them. And um, so we we sort of systematically took that apart and and you know piece by piece started working more up that proactive stream. And um, and that creates then you get this truly operational excellent environment and that creates capacity to do different things. It also builds a track record with your business units that you can be trusted and that you will deliver on what um, you commit to. And then they want you to be involved in more things with them. So it starts to be, you know, in, in a um, uh, Jim Collins notion, it starts to be that flywheel effect, right? right. Yes. And, um, and that's been really true at Intel. And so we're sort of moving our way up from just existing as an IT organization um, to collaborating with the business and helping Intel to transform. Yeah, you know, uh, at the end of the month, Val and I are delivering a, a workshop for CIOs in Atlanta. And one of the key elements is this notion of how do you, how do you get to the point where you're delivering operational excellence as you described, so that you can then establish the uh, the credibility, the relevance, and the trust 
that is necessary in order to have the influence across the organization that you're describing. It seems like mm -hmm. influence and trust are, are kind of commingling as, a, as, a, as an important foundation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and your and I believe your track record of delivery is what the foundation of the trust is built on, um, and then your ability to under to you have to know the business um, to be able to offer insightful solutions to their problems, right? Mm -hmm. And, and um, last year we did a um, as part of our customer at the center, we started with walk in the shoes of our customer. And um, we did what we called ride-alongs, so we would send some IT people out. Just live the day of your business unit customer. Don't be the IT person. We had 100 people over the course of the year did anywhere from three, three months to six-month assignments um, in the business unit, just performing business unit jobs. Mm -hmm. And they came back, and they came back with a long list of automation like, you know, these yield engineers, they have to write this stuff down. Well, we could just write a script and do this. Because IT people think like that. Cool. And, um, and so we were able to create um, an enormous amount of uh, credibility with the business units because we, had, we lived in their shoes. And then we were able to bring back solutions that directly met the needs of the business that, you know, I always talk about like operating system upgrades. You have to do operating system upgrades, but really nobody considers them of value. You know, right. it's a health and hygiene effort. So you have yeah. to you have to make sure you're you keep your health and hygiene, but you have capacity to really add the higher value yeah. uh, to the business. It's a good way to put it. We have a question from Twitter, and let me just remind everybody that you are listening to CXO Talk and. Uh, uh, I'm Michael Krigsman. My co-host is the is, is Vala Afshar, and we're here with Intel CIO Kim Stevenson. And we have a question from Vijay Vijayasankar, and and I know Vijay. He's an executive at SAP. He works for Vishal Sika. There's their oh. executive board member. And I uh, was with Vishal this morning. Oh, I had a okay. meeting with him this morning. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and. Vijay asks the question, and you touched on this earlier, Kim. Uh, he asks, how does uh, IT use Intel's own hardware and software innovations? Maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah, sure. Um, um, so all of our um, servers and all of our laptops and uh, our, our Intel architecture, um, we, we have no mainframe in Intel. We have... Um, uh, you know, so so we work we work really hard to make that that true. But the the way we do that is we we work closely with each of our business units, um, and we provide in that enterprise customer use case our requirements. They then develop product. We will help them with debug. We'll be we like to be the um, first customer. Uh, we'll we'll test, we'll retest, um, and and provide you know an ongoing set of feedback. Um, uh, we also you know we we really will only put in what adds value to Intel, and and so at times there are contention there. We we don't we we don't put in something that we don't think adds value. Um, and but that contentious process helps make the product better. So so eventually we will our requirements will get built in and we will put it in because there is value. And um, so so 
and we've got um, a, a long track record on the hardware side of that. Um, but on the software side, we're, we're, we've even matured this year. So Intel announced a Hadoop distribution, I don't know, a month or two ago. Um, and we're using that distribution. Before it was released, we were using that distribution to do our um, big data uh, intake. And then we, we put some analytics on top of, of that. So, um, and, you know, we had really good performance out of that that was better than um, the previous distribution. So we moved because of the performance. Um, and, and we try to be, we try to be really intellectually honest that, you know, we have to create value. We don't just do it because we're Intel. But um, we do find that Intel architecture performs better. So, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to revisit um, a topic that we talked uh, in, in terms of being social. And Kim, you, you shared with us a brilliant story in terms of an internal uh, benefits of, of having an open, collaborative mindset. Uh, certainly, uh, a, a big benefit when you have a six thousand uh, employee workforce in your division. But you know, you are um, you're, you're active in terms of conference speaker, you have video blogs, you're active on Twitter, um, based on a Huffington Post and the research we've done, you're, you're one of the top social uh, CIOs in the world. So, you know, what are some of the external benefits of, of, of being social and what advice do you have to other CIOs um, um, based on your own uh, personal experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give you a, another um, example. So I was... Um, uh, a small group of uh, people led by me was working on a um, strategic discussion for our CEO and top executives. And, and the topic was around big data and analytics. And so I had, um, we, we'd been categorizing what we're doing across Intel. We've been searching out industry trends. Um, but I tweeted out a, a couple of things uh, as I was reading them that I thought were interesting to the community. And I made several comments about talent, the scarcity of talent um, that you need. You know, the, if we're going to be successful, we, this talent problem, it's a problem for everybody. Sure. And um, so a gentleman in Australia um, sent me back a white paper that he had just written um, about how to acquire talent. It wasn't even published yet. It had some great insights. I read it and I was able to use that as we finished up the work that we did for this corporate strategic discussion. Now, wow. um, as I sat here in California, it was it is highly unlikely in a non-social world that I would have had access to that data. I had access to that data before it was ever public, and I was able to use it to create advantage for my company. Um, and I, and I, I'm telling you that stuff happens to me a couple of times a week. Wow. Um, and it's partly because I'm willing to be out there and open about what what it is that I care about, what I'm working on. Um, but the the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd is people want to help you. They're interested in your opinion, and they want to help you back. And um, and by the way, I did that gentleman asked me on his next white paper to I read it and I gave him some edits, you know, my view of edits. 
Um, so it was a bi-directional relationship that, you know, I, I hope he got value from my edits and I certainly got value from access to his information. That's superb. So there's a, so in summary, if you're, if you're just interested and, and um, you know, willing to, uh, you know, reciprocate and be helpful, um, it's an amazing tool, it being, you know, social networks and, as you said, the wisdom of the crowd to, to improve professionally, whether you're a CIO right. at Intel or a student working at Intel uh, only nine months into their career. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, you know, I tell people that aren't started, you know, where do you get started? And I say, well, do you read the news? <laughs> because, you know, it can just be um, right. change your news source to, you know, follow your news sources right. and start to not just read the news source, but read the comments, read who's interested, just figure out who's the most influential person in your particular field of study that or your you know interests Excellent. follow them and and you you can be a lurker for a little while and you don't have to contribute a lot and you can still learn but once you're willing to move to I'm going to be an active participant an active contributor you're going to get you know an enormous amount you'll get back more than you give and at least that's how I feel and that's what's been true for me super you know when 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 I talk with CIOs uh, sometimes they can see these benefits in abstract, but they have a hard time finding the time or at least prioritizing the time. So how do you, how do you manage to do that, given your busy schedule? Well, I'm, I believe as the CIO that um, I need to be current on world events and trends. And so I choose to fulfill that job responsibility, if you want, um, via the social channels. And I actually think I'm far more efficient in staying on top of uh, events that will impact our company and our industry via this mechanism versus, you know, um, you know, watching CNBC all day or, mm -hmm. or you know, because I mean, seriously, if you think about anything that's broadcast or printed media, there, the amount of redundancy in right. that so um, is enormous. They say the same thing over and over again for hours. I mean, I can get the summary in a Twitter feed and, and I get the essence of it. And then I have the ability to drill down. When I want to drill really into it, I have the ability to drill into it. Right. So I think it's a far more efficient way to consume information. And right. in my case, that information is really critical to my job responsibility. Now, now you were just mentioning people who are starting out. We have a, another question from Twitter and, and uh, folks who are watching, please submit your questions for Kim Stevenson who's the CIO of Intel. Just use the hashtag uh, pound CXO talk. So, so Kim, we have a question. What, is, what can be done to help encourage more, more girls in technology? Mm. There are not many female CIOs. 9%. There are a few, yeah, there there are a few. I'd like more. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, I, I think um, uh, it, it's a really important question. And um, Intel did a study um, about two years ago on um, why do girls um, stay in math and science? Why do they leave math and science? Because really, they're technical fields. If you opt out of math and science, 
um, early, it's going to be hard to actually draw girls back in. And um, and what what they found was that a lot of times girls didn't understand what technical professions could enable. Um, so they viewed an engineer as like a mechanic or a train engineer. Um, they had no idea of what, um, if you were in a technical field, computer science or engineering, what your income potential could be. And um, so, so step one is for anybody who's advising, you know, your own children, your neighbor's children, you're a teacher, you're, you know, um, have the Girl Scouts, what, whatever opportunity you have to young girls is to help them see that there are careers that um, provide a, you, the ability to make a huge difference in the world right. and have a great income. Um, because th that, that's been one of the impediments. Um, beyond that, it's, it's opportunity. So Intel runs a science fair every year. And this year's awesome. winner was a, a young girl, Sarah awesome. Voltz. And um, uh, so, you know, there's a get, get Girls Involved. I'm involved with an organization called Girls Who Code. Um, there's girls, girl geeks. There's the Girl Scouts are doing some wonderful things. They now have they have an e-commerce badge that you can earn. Um, in some of the chapters, they're also doing web design badge. Um, so I think there are a lot of things that you can do. There's a um, uh, a young uh, startup firm in San Francisco that's creating toys that are geared towards girls that are um, uh, engineering oriented. Um, so, because when you look at most video games, they're um, they're male dominated. That the characters are male. Um, they're shoot 'em up, kill 'em, right. you know, kinds of things that tend not to be as um, attractive to uh, young girls. Um, so, so I love to see the startup community developing um, toys and games and stuff that are going to be. Uh, helpful to keeping girls interested in these fields so That's and I could go on and on <laughs> that was a wonderful wonderful answer to such an important uh, question as a, as a father to two uh, two young girls you know I, I would like well I'm obviously I want to support them in whatever endeavor they choose but uh, and they're both uh, they both ask really inquisitive questions so I believe that there's a making of great engineers in both, but uh, but uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, shifting a little bit um, in terms of uh, your your advice to to uh, to vendors who are trying to you know position their solutions to CIOs and IT. What's what do you look for when you engage with vendors who um, who are you know again trying to position their technology and capabilities within Intel? Yeah. So first and foremost, it is is um, you know help me solve the company's hardest problems, um, and uh, in in those vendors that that want to collaborate and be a strategic partner and really push the agenda forward. We as a company, you know, we're we're a pretty progressive IT organization. So first, you have to know your customer. I suspect not all customers would be as progressive as. Um, uh, we are, um, but you know, we want to exploit the technology that we currently own, and then you know that we tend to acquire. And um, so, you got to do your homework. You got to know what's important to the organization. And the w 
you don't do that by asking for a meeting with the CIO and saying, please tell me your priorities. Um, that tells to me right off the bat, you didn't right. do your homework, right. and yeah. I don't want to talk to you. Especially um, since you have a video blog that says, <laughs> Intel IT 2013 <laughs> priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your homework. Uh, it's, it's pretty homework. clear. It's, it's yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. That's great advice. And uh, here, here, hearkening back to some of the things we were talking about uh, earlier and the relationship between IT and the internal business stakeholders, what advice can you offer the business side to work more efficiently and to get the best out of IT? Not just in terms of saving money, but all, mm -hmm. the, all the real positive innovations that might be possible. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I'm going around telling my business unit customers um, is to raise their expectations of IT. So generally, we, we would get these comments like, oh, we love IT. We think you're great. Oh, thank you so much for doing X. And they're positive, glowing statements. And when you really analyze the statements, what they are is they're all in the keep the business running vein. So they think we're excellent at keeping the business running, and they're very happy with that. And my response to that is your expectations are too low. You should, that's, that's necessary but not sufficient. Your expectations of IT should be help me transform. I say, because I can, every business unit um, that I talk to, I'd say, don't you have harder challenges to solve? Do you know how to solve them all? Aren't you time constrained? Are you resource constrained? You should be expecting IT to help you solve those problems, not just help, not just keep your business running. And um, when you when you point that out to them, it, it's been astonishing. There, um, love a lot of them go, "You're right." What one of our business unit leaders told me, no one has ever told me my expectations are too low. And I'm like, well, they are. They are if you want to be successful. And so it, it, I'm getting 100% buy-in to it, but it is incumbent upon IT to point that out, to point well, that out. Well, also, to don't you have to help kind of uh, coach them? Because if the relationship has been primarily, well, IT are the people who kind of do stuff that's mostly hidden, except if we need to call help desk. Hmm. And now mm -hmm. you're now you're now you're saying to them, well, ask us about a very different agenda. How do you how do you train them and teach them to do that? And 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 how do you teach IT to then respond with these higher order and more important activities as well? Yeah. Well, so you do. You shouldn't engage in this discussion unless you have a track record of service delivery excellence, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, right. that's that's the first thing. If you don't have that, you need to fix that first. Right. Um, and then I start with imagine if, imagine if mm. I could cut your manufacturing costs in half. Imagine if I could tell you the increase your win rate with on sales calls, and then they start saying, well. Well, how would you do that? And I'm like, well, we could do this, we could do that. And and you lay out a journey. It's a you start with the destination, not where you are today. And the destination needs to be two to three years out there. Um, and then you can have you have to have steps getting towards that destination. But what you're really trying to align on is that strategic point that their organization needs to be on, um, because 
once you say imagine if, the second part of that is, well, can you do that without an IT solution? And almost always the answer is no. So either you're going to use us, the internal IT organization, or you're going to have to get that from somewhere else. And, and they go, yep. What, what would have to be true for me to earn your business? So that's the sequence of the discussion that I've been going through with the business units. Makes sense. And, and, and what about this whole thing of shadow IT? And hmm. they, you know, what if they said, okay, well, we'll just do it on our own? Yeah. So, um, you know, my view is um, uh, whether it's an external service provider, cloud provider, SaaS provider, shadow IT, internal IT, is that the business units make those decisions because they're trying to accomplish their objectives in the way that they think is the most efficient way to do that. If they're not choosing you, there's a reason. Wow. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the thing that you know people are bad. I, I think generally people come to work to do a great job. These are usually executives making the decisions. Right. So they're, they're, you have to inspect the reasons why they're making those choices. Um, and I, uh, I, I never bash shadow IT right. because they're fulfilling a need that ultimately IT could not fulfill. And then once you get your head around that principle, then you can start working to figure out how do we best fulfill it for the company because it's right. not org against org. It's company acceleration you're trying to get to. So the bringing people together and the, the coordination of the, of the needs and the goals and the means to get there seem to be what you're really talking about. Ultimately. Right, right. Is there, a, is there a chief digital officer at Intel or it, how closely do you work with the CMO because it seems like whether it's Gartner or other analysts there is this notion that the technology spend is shifting quite a bit to the digital initiatives sometimes led by a marketing lead uh, Gartner believes in two years, 25% of all enterprises will have a digital officer of some sort. Mm -hmm. uh, who's your most demanding line of business, I guess, uh, Pierre? So, well, so we, we do work closely um, with marketing, um, and, and they're demanding, but manufacturing is demanding, and design engineering is demanding. <laughs> Um, uh, we don't have a chief digital officer. Um, I have a uh, IT, basically an applications team, IT applications team that is directly aligned to our, our corporate marketing group. Um, and um, they sit in their staff meetings at multi-levels. It's just not the CMO. It is multi-levels. IT people sit in their staff meetings. They're considered an extended member of the staff. Um, one of the... Uh, uh, IT vice or uh, marketing vice president said to me a week or so ago, "Your guy has been working on me for two years. He's finally woken the sleeping giant, and um, he goes, I finally get what he's been telling me.' So, um, but we we sort of do it as an embedded staff, right? We we consider, awesome. uh, and they're in this that particular team. They signed up the sales organization signed up for a sales productivity number this year that." Um, uh, to get more revenue per salesperson, and IT is sharing that, and we're sh we're not sharing wow. the IT component of that. We are sharing the sales productivity measure. So everyone in that organization, as mm. part of their objectives for the year, is did the sales organization achieve the productivity? Because we know part of that answer is is the IT solutions that they 
So, so maybe if CIOs adopt the culture or the ethos that customer in the center is perhaps, you know, there's, the business doesn't have a need for another chief <laughs> or another, uh, yeah. you know, champion to help the growth of the business. It, look, it appears that your staff is so integrated, interested, and customer focused that, you know, at Intel, um, you know, they trust IT, they trust the CIO to help the business grow. Yeah, I, I do think these other C, chief digital officer, chief data officer, if you need to s establish that role, it's because you have a shortcoming somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, um, I agree. You know, it, some some companies need to establish it, but I think you're better off addressing where the real shortcoming is, than creating another layer of management. It's just about time where we have to end. But let's ask let's ask one more uh, question from Twitter, if you don't mind, Kim. Okay. And very briefly, who is in charge of social collaboration tools? How are they rolled out and evangelized? Very quickly, please. Um, in in my IT engineering organization, I have a portfolio called Collaboration, um, and it is a, uh, a cross-organizational representation in that portfolio, but we've defined the services um, that go into that portfolio, and I have a leader in charge of that at the director level. And, in, and by the way, there's some HR people on that team. There's some, you know, it's a cross-functional portfolio. Um, to drive collaboration at Intel. That's great. Great. That's great. Well, unfortunately, it's about that time again. Unbelievable. Wasn't this amazing? This, you, you are amazing. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you. It was great. It was great chatting with you. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks, too. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, May, right. I believe it's May 22nd, the MIT CIO Symposium. And there's uh, the three of us are part of a panel, and we're going to be talking about similar similar issues here in Boston. Great to have a Northeastern grad come back to East Coast and visit us in our little humble city of Boston. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Do you still do you still love the Red Sox, Kim? <laughs> oh no, see? No, I am a Yankees fan. Oh well and a, and a Derek and I am a Derek Jeter heartthrob, Derek Jeter. <laughs> All right, Derek Derek Jeter, if you're out there now you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Kim Stevenson, the CIO of Intel. Thank you so much for being on the ninth episode of CXO Talk with my good friend and co-host, the amazingly robotic, because he can multitask in ways that us normal human beings simply can't. Vala Afshar, Vala. Thank you, Michael, for your very kind words. <laughs> and Kim, I hope that you'll come back and you'll join us again another time. I'd love to. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kim. Bye-bye, okay. everybody. Bye.